And you're listening to Ink Studs on CITR 101.9 FM. This is the Ink Stud Show, the radio show where I tend, most of the time, to talk about comics. Um, today's guest is Graham Annable. Um, I guess the main work he has out is the new Book of Grickle from Dark Horse, which just came out yesterday, I think, didn't it? I think so, but actually I'm not sure. Uh, it seems to have been a little mix-up on the actual release, because uh, initially I think it was April 7th. And a few folks have posted that it's out as of yesterday, but I'm not entirely sure that it is. <laughs> I, I saw it on my local comic store. Oh, so you've actually seen yeah. copies? Well, then I guess it's out there. <laughs> it is out there. At least if you're in Vancouver, you can go to RX Comics, or uh, I think Lucky's will probably have it, and maybe a couple other stores, but those will be the two I recommend checking because they're sympathetic towards the taste of the ink studs. Awesome. Um, so I guess I should, we're CITR in Vancouver, UBC. It's about ten past two, eight past two, and I'm here to talk to Graham about his comics, about his animation, web comics. What am I missing? <laughs> uh, I think that's pretty much covering. I do I do work uh, full time as a storyboard artist at uh, Leica Entertainment as well. I was kind of going to that with the animation. Ah, okay. Well, yeah, yeah, I guess that does cover it. <laughs> yeah. um, is there a big animation scene in Portland? Um, if there is, I'm not super aware of it, and that could very well be the case. <laughs> uh, Leica is the sort of main studio in town. There's a couple other smaller sort of commercial houses, um, but it doesn't seem to be on the same scale as what I experienced in the Bay Area or uh, or back in Toronto, for sure. Uh, but the comic scene here is, is huge. <laughs> that's, that's what I was wondering about, because, I mean, in Vancouver, we have a pretty substantial amount of animation studios. Yeah, Vancouver's got tons, yeah. And, so, and that supports a lot of our cartoonists in being yeah. able to, you know, make comics and earn a living at the same time. Yep. Because, unfortunately, comics don't pay too well. Not as much as we'd all like. Not as much <laughs> as anyone would like. Yeah. Um, so that's what I was wondering, because I mean, Portland is, you know, it's kind of the cartoonist mecca in North America. Yeah, it so. seems like it's turned into that. It, it's funny, when I when I made the move up here about four, almost almost five years ago now, <clears throat> from the Bay Area, um, it just seemed like everyone that I sort of knew, a good chunk of the people that I knew in the comic scene, all suddenly were living up here as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everybody sort of migrated at the same time, it seems. I think it's the temperate climate and uh, liberal political climate. Um, and it's a pretty city. Yeah. i got to say. I uh, absolutely love this place. It's been a, it's been a great move for us. I, uh, you know, in, in comparison, maybe like the close comparison would be Seattle. It's a nicer city than Seattle. Yeah, it's... Uh, <clears throat> I mean, I haven't lived in Seattle, so I shouldn't say, but I think it's just... Uh, it's just it's it's the right size at least for what I'm looking for. It's it's big enough that there's a lot culturally kind of going on, but it is small enough that pretty much anywhere you're going or driving, you can pretty much park in front of the place you're going to. <laughs> it's just yeah, the lifestyle is pretty easy here. It's it's great. Let's jump into your comics. Sure. Enough geography lesson, I guess. <laughs> um, maybe tell me what Grickle is or what Grickle means. Uh, sure. Uh, that's definitely a question I get a lot. Um, 
And the best answer I have for it is uh, a while back when I started kind of creating all these little short stories, um, I started just doing the comics. Uh, I'd been working in the video game industry down at LucasArts a number of years ago, and when I first started there, I was actually doing traditional hand-drawn animation. But at a certain point, of course, everything turned to 3D software. Mm-hmm. And I started animating with that, and it was great, and I learned a lot. Uh, but I really wanted to keep up the drawing, so I just started doing comic stories on the side to kind of give myself little projects to to draw on. And once I got to the point of putting all the stories I'd created into a, a little booklet, I was really like, <laughs> I had no idea what to call it, because... I just kind of, on each of the stories, sort of followed my nose on whatever I was interested in at the time. Uh, And it kind of struck me that, since they were all my stories, uh, Grickle is a nickname amongst a million nicknames my uh, dad used for me as a kid. Every week for my sister and I, he seemed to have new weird names he'd call us. Uh, And for whatever reason, that one kind of stuck. And as soon as I thought of using that as a title for the comic, it just seemed like it unified everything in a way that made sense to me. So that's kind of what how it happened, and it's sort of stuck ever since. <laughs> it kind of make it's to me it makes sense. It's kind of because everything, all your work ties together in this kind of common characters, common themes. Yeah, and it's kind of a Grickle verse. Yeah, it's it's just turned into that. I I honestly have not. <laughs> <laughs> I really haven't been very conscious of it. Uh, it's just, yeah, it's just me doing the stories that I certainly like to read and try to draw. And uh, I don't know, something about that word grickle, it's sort of, it's definitely a little quirky. It's almost sort of uncomfortable. I don't know, it's a weird, <laughs> it's a weird word. And it just seems to fit the tone of uh, the comics I seem to make. It's so. like, I just did a grickle. <laughs> oh, man, that's oh. so grickle. <laughs> <laughs> I'm shaking my grickling head. <laughs> so your background is in animation what was the choice to do comics was that just kind of wanting to explore something differently creatively when um, you're... it's kind of always been there I, I i think i mean i've been doodling and drawing you know at a very early age i've just always been making artwork one way or the other and i mean i was super super into like uh, the charles schultz peanuts strip and um, had a million like archie digests growing up i just had tons of comics around all the time and those of course into spider-man and all the superhero stuff too and so actually i primarily was into comics as a kid i mean i like cartoons but <clears throat> I, I think i would always opt to read a comic book maybe over watching animation at least early on and uh when I was trying to figure out what I was going to do for college or university, I initially thought I was going to get into sciences and do something in maybe biology or something. I was interested in that at the time. But when I actually looked over all my biology textbooks, they were completely coated in uh, doodles. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, you know, maybe I should just keep going with this art thing and, and see where that leads. Um, and I, but at that point, I, I still didn't even know what exactly I could do with doodling. I wasn't really sure where that takes you. I thought comic books, but there wasn't really a school for comic books. Where did you uh, grow up? I grew up in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah, basically like where all the Great Lakes kind of meet, northern 
northern tip of Michigan, but on the Canadian side. I did not know you were Canadian. I, I am Canadian. <laughs> well, how about that? Yeah, how about it, eh? <laughs> uh, yeah, and so I, I really wasn't quite sure what to do with whatever art skills I thought I had at the time. But at that point, I was actually I was really into Ralph Bakshi's Mighty Mouse. <laughs> I, I, I religiously watched that cartoon every Saturday morning at the age of, oh, 18. <laughs> it was just, I lived for that show. And I found out, I heard about Sheridan College, and I thought, wow, animation, that's, that's combining basically cartoon comic drawing with film, which I was also super into. I was big, still am a big Kubrick fan and Lynch and all the rest of it, and it just seemed like, wow, that's perfect. I can draw cartoons and I can make films. So I went to Sheridan knowing pretty much nil about the whole process of animation. And uh, definitely learned a lot in the next three years. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It makes sense hearing that you are Canadian. Um, because when I'm reading <laughs> your work and looking at the animation, the big thing that sticks out to me is it has that NFB feeling. Hmm. Which I, I have, like, did you watch a lot of the NFB stuff growing up? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, you're living in Canada, you're certainly going to come across it one way or the other. And actually, now that you say it, uh, speaking of like other things that inspired me, uh, another thing that got me to go to Sheridan College was uh, Richard Condy. Um, he did the Big Snit, and he did another short previous to that one called Getting Started. The Big and Snit was that the one with sawing for teens? Yep. Okay, and that's yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, those those uh, two shorts. Uh, I'd never, I, you know, I think I first saw Getting Started as a little interstitial thing on um, on pay TV, like years ago as a kid. Uh, they would just throw in cartoon shorts between movies and stuff. And I saw Getting Started, and I'd never in my life seen anything I thought was funnier than that. Uh, and then, like, the next year, The Big Snit was up for the Oscar, I think. And I saw that, and it was even funnier. And I just thought, man, that is, like, that's just, that's what cartoons should be doing. I mean, that if it just there's nothing, there's no other medium that could have made anything as funny as what I, those, those shorts turned out to be. I thought uh, so. That was definitely a big influence. Yeah, it's uh, funny because the big snit specifically was something that kept jumping up in my head looking through your work. Just yeah, kind of... I it's definitely there. Yeah, <laughs> I think I've been constantly just trying to capture anywhere near what that short did for me. <laughs> there, there's something like you you get that's like that same kind of weird isolated desperation <laughs> <laughs> which is super funny right yeah it is i, I think it's funny i know me too <laughs> yay <laughs> yeah i don't know maybe it's the canadian thing we're we're isolated and desperate and we find it very funny <laughs> <laughs> we all live in igloos oh exactly exactly there we go Believe everything you hear, people. It's true. <laughs> Especially in Vancouver, we have lots of igloos here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The weather definitely allows yeah. for it. It's really cold right now. Really cold. <laughs> Especially over the last couple of months. Um, so is Sher Sheridan's where you went. You did a uh, full film degree or uh, animation degree there? Or? Yeah. At the time, it was a, a three-year program for classical animation. It was good? Yeah, it was great. I mean, you know, there's no way... You can learn everything coming out of that program. There's just too much, but it it certainly taught me enough 
to allow me to kind of get my foot in the door of a few Toronto studios after that. And I feel like that's when, that's kind of when the real learning begins when you're actually working in the studio environment. Mm-hmm. But but definitely, yeah, Sheridan, I thought for me did a did a great job of kind of prepping me and allowing me that opportunity to kind of get in there and start learning. So uh, yeah, it was great. What were um, some of your int- like? Is that really what informed a lot of what you wanted to do with your comics when you started doing the comics? Was that, like, that big snip background, that kind of... Or were there other cartoonists that were kind of interesting you? Uh, yeah, I mean, the big snip, I think, is, is definitely always there. Uh, but, I mean, there's, there's tons of influences. I Another thing, actually, I was really into growing up is... I, I think I ended up with the... 40 or 50th year anniversary collection or something of Popeye. And I read that book like backwards and forwards. I mean, I, I just loved uh, E.C. the E.C. Seagar's yeah. work. And uh, that's another one I think that just always, I think is always in the back of my mind when I draw stuff. It's just, he had such a perfect cartoony interpretation of things. It, I don't know. I just haven't seen still stuff that's much better than that. No, I think uh, a lot of people wish to uh, kind of evoke Elsie Seeger. Yeah, it's just incredible stuff. So that was definitely a big influence, too. I'm going to do a quick song break. We're about 20 past. What would you like to hear? I uh, leave it in your hands. <laughs> okay. I am going to play the uh, Vincent Gallo. How's that sound? Great. All right. We'll be right back. Instead, CITR 101.9 FM. Oh, 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 
Inkstuts on CITR 101.9 FM. Right now I'm talking to Graham Annable, the creator of The Book of Grickle. Also, another thing I guess you have is uh, the Hickey Anthology. Yes. Tell me a bit about it, about where it came from <laughs> and what the kind of concept you guys had, because it's more than just you, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a group of us. Um, it kind of all started around the time I was doing the Grickle comics, uh, I also, uh, a group of us that I worked, uh, a bunch of guys that I worked with at LucasArts and Lucas Learning at the time, uh, just sort of like-minded artists, cartoonists, um, we started sort of just having Sunday afternoon jam sessions where we would basically just hang out at a cafe somewhere around San Francisco and just draw cartoons basically for each other, and we'd do a bunch of jam strips and whatever and we basically just try to make each other laugh as much as possible um and at a certain point it just struck me like man i i i mean i find these things amazingly funny and i was like i I would imagine others would too and so we just sort of got onto the idea of like let's try to formally put a little comic together uh because at that point i don't think i actually had the grickle book published i was just at that time, uh, just doing the self-publishing thing where I, uh, you know, went to Kinko's and put the books together, and uh, I think I was only selling them out of comic relief over in Berkeley at the time. And anyway, I thought, man, we should do this as a little group kind of thing and, and see where it goes. And uh, after Grickle got published, uh, a little while later, uh, the publisher wanted to pick up Hickey as well, so uh, it just kind of kept rolling from there. Now, there are three volumes to it. I was confused. <laughs> it is an absolute 
uh, confusing mess in terms of the volumes. Um, we <laughs> we first created like I think three, three or maybe four self-published ones, and we did them kind of you know uh, just weird format and size, sort of long, wise, and wide, kind of like I guess like those old Garfield books used mm-hmm. to be. Did them that way because uh, we never really thought much ahead of just making the funny comics in terms of proportions and printing and all that stuff. And when the publisher got interested in in putting Hickey out, we first put out just a collection of those self-published comics into one book, and that became Hickey Volume 1. Then, uh, a little while later, uh, the publisher and myself talked about, well, let's Let's maybe let's turn this into like a serialized thing. Let's just start making new hickeys, you know, that that they would publish. So then we started up and did I think just one or two uh, at the old uh, of new material at the, the same sort of wonky size. But now it was Hickey Volume Two because we were starting a brand new thing. It wasn't a book. <laughs> uh, and then. Because the book was such a weird size, after like two issues of it, I think, there may have only been one at that size, I can't remember now. The publisher came back and said, you know what, nobody knows where to stick these things on the stands, they're just kind of weird, and let's, let's just do them like the standard comic size. So we, <laughs> we did a whole slew of comics at those proportions, and then... Uh, the publisher was like, and let's start at number one, because number one, it's just that's the way you do it when you start fresh. <laughs> so that became volume one, or volume three, number one. And I think that was the last of that. I think we did four four issues at that size, and that's been it since. Um, and there hasn't really been a new Hickey for a while now, and we keep talking about what our next step is and trying to figure out where, where to take it, and we're still kind of deciding... Um, We've been doing like a couple of art shows here and there, as well that are sort of all hickey themed. Um, it's just been it's been an awesome thing because you know it all started with us all living in the same area mm-hmm. down in the Bay Area, but now as time has passed, we've all kind of moved to different cities. A lot of us, and so we're kind of spread out. And hickey's like this awesome thing that kind of keeps bringing us back together as a group to do an art show somewhere. And uh, it's just, it's been great. So I'm not quite sure what the next form of it is going to be, but I'm pretty certain it'll end up showing up again soon. So, uh, yeah. It's a swell. It's a swell little anthology. (laughs) Thanks. It's a mess to figure out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, an absolute mess to quantify. And yeah, that's as best as I can explain it. And that took, what, probably 10 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) I think it was more like four. Okay. All right. No, and then you said that was the same time you published the uh, the first Grickle collection, yep. which is kind of similar. The stuff that's in that is also in your new book, the Book of Grickle. Yeah, the Book of Grickle basically collects the first two uh, Grickle uh, graphic novels, I guess, I, that I did long ago. Um, the first Grickle book, the very first one, has been out of print for like five or six years now, mm-hmm. and that's always kind of bummed me out because I feel like a lot of people don't get to see my stuff because the, the books are just kind of hard to find these days, a lot of them. And, uh, yeah, I uh, approached uh, Diana Schutz over at Dark Horse about the potential of maybe 
you know, maybe that they'd be interested in doing a compilation so I could get these things back out in print. And uh, she thought it was a great idea. We, we'd been talking sort of off and on for the last couple of years at conventions, and she'd always mentioned that it'd be great to work together and we should think of doing something. And, yeah, when I got struck with the idea of just doing a collection of these books, she thought that was just perfect timing, and uh, everything kind of fell into place. And there we are. Yeah, but the book actually is a selection of stuff from those first two books. It's not everything that was printed in them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in addition to that, there are some mini-comics that I reformatted that I, I don't think very many people ever saw because I just had them at a couple, a handful of conventions, and uh, yeah, they weren't too widely distributed. Um, and then there's one other thing that I, I did an art piece uh, for a show actually in Switzerland a couple of, about uh, two years ago now. And it was a thing where they invited the artists to take a hundred post-it notes and do whatever you were going to do with them. Um, and I just, because I'm pretty comfortable doing comic narrative storytelling, I just took each post-it as a panel and just did like a, a hundred pay or a hundred panel story with it. Um, and I was really happy with the way it all kind of turned out. Uh, and again, I don't think a ton of people, certainly over here, haven't seen it. So, so that got reformatted as well as another story in there. So it's got some new stuff in it. Well, sort of new stuff. Hard to find or probably most people haven't seen it kind of stuff. It's a good mix of rare oddities. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well said. <laughs> <laughs> um, one strip I really like, which is the, by far the longest in there, was the By Necessity. I'm curious the background on that because most of your stuff is two, three, four, five of the most probably pages. And then that one yeah. is is a full-size comic, so to say. Yep. Um that one, I don't know. I mean, every idea just sort of seems to, for me anyway, you know, you get an idea and pretty quickly you sort of settle on what the format and relative size of it is going to be. Um, and that one uh, sort of got sparked from friends of my parents talking about some, I don't even know if they realized it at the time, but it, an urban legend about the whole, it wasn't a wombat, but it was a rabbit that lived next door and the whole mix-up of them thinking that the dog had actually uh, killed it and all this. And I was just fascinated with the mechanics of how all that worked. That was like the funniest thing. And so, um, I don't know, It just the story just kind of evolved from that. I started to build a context around it with a relationship and thinking about just how things sometimes don't quite mesh and how, I guess, dudes kind of don't, necessarily make decisions until they're sort of cornered into them and, i don't know it all just kind of felt right at the time and uh and i can tell right away that wow to pack all this in this is definitely going to be a longer story mm-hmm. um but i just wanted to go for it i just felt really strong about it at the time and uh, and it was a great lesson because i uh doing it i just I definitely learned that man anything anything over 20 pages turns into a very different animal in terms of trying to plan it out and, and, uh, and structure it. Uh, I think with the shorter stories, you can just kind of, you just sort of hit that one note, you know, you mm-hmm. can go for it and it's simple and you can kind of get your hands around it right from the get-go. And longer stories, man, it's a well, different thing. This one feels less like a gag and more like, I mean, more looking at just guys just not making decisions for themselves and 
not willing to make decisions, I guess. Yeah, and I shouldn't just lump it into guys. I mean, people in general. The, the character, I forget his name. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it, you know, again, because of the length, I think it just allows things to breathe a little bit more, and you can kind of get a little deeper into characters and stuff. Um, but it's a hell of a lot more work. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I've been actually noodling uh, for the last couple of years on, on a full, like, 200, possibly 200-page-plus 200 story, because I really want to, to take that next step and, and just, for myself, experience what, what is really involved in, in, in creating a full-length, you know, graphic novel story. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a lot to uh, digest and, uh, and figure out. Uh, is part of that being explored with Dang and Dunk? Uh, that's a little different. Um, that The Dang Dunk thing kind of all happened um, because I left LucasArts a number of years ago and went immediately to Telltale Games, uh, which was a company that was started up with a bunch of folks that I had worked with at LucasArts, and they split off to start their own company, and they wanted me to come along, and uh, it just it was a great opportunity. Um, and so, yeah, I was there with those guys at the beginning and just trying to get the company going. And so every day we were just brainstorming about how do we, how do we you know, get people to see this company. It's it, it's. It was amazing coming from <laughs> 10 plus years working at LucasArts where you're in this huge corporation and I mean everyone and their mother knows George Lucas and you're working for uh, Darth Vader basically not to say yeah. that George Lucas is Darth Vader but you're working <laughs> in the right. empire forgot, I forgot Darth was there um, <laughs> so you know the, the recognition and, and everything is just almost pretty much taken for granted in terms of exposure and then suddenly we I was with these guys starting to start doing this little startup company and man it is an uphill battle to just get yourself established out there and and just you know start to build somewhat of a presence and a culture and fascinating stuff but it was uh, it was it was much more than i'd bargained for mm -hmm. uh and it was a great experience but yeah so we would be brainstorming constantly about ways to just kind of beyond just you know creating the games and getting the company going ways to sort of create this online presence for the for the business and, and get people to know who Telltale were. Uh, and one of the things that came up was, let's, let's do like a little webcomic. Let's just have a webcomic on there. And um, we came up with the notion that we were going to do, I'm not even sure how it came about, but this uh, caveman inventor <laughs> called Dank. And that's pretty much, I just started with that and started trying to, see what I could do with it. Um, and it was great because it was a whole talking about doing long form stories. I mean, doing <laughs> three panels or four panel uh, comic strips is, again, just another completely different beast in terms of trying to how to plan it and pace it. Well, you're trying and, to boil everything down into a couple of quick points, right? Yeah, you're just, you're cutting off so much fat all the time. You're just trying to get it down to the simplest thing so that it doesn't get bogged down or you're, yeah it's just it's a, it's a definite lesson in efficiency um and so yeah so i started doing that and then i ended up moving up to portland and working at leica but i have continued to have a you know relationship with the telltale company and i always keep in touch with those guys and i kept doing the webcomic and after a while i i don't know i just felt like i was i wanted to do something a little more with it and i came up with the notion that it could be 
I don't know, it was interesting to me, and I was hoping it would be interesting to others, that I did this sort of flip thing where, you know, the comic strip is Dank, the caveman, but then I would sort of flip it into essentially Grickle World, where you get to meet Dunk, who is the actual comic artist creating Dank. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I started playing with that dynamic, and I'm still, like, having a blast doing it. Um, and I just, it's a, it's a weekly strip at this point. I just do one a week, and uh, it's great. I just, it's a nice little exercise for me. It kind of keeps me on, on my toes, and uh, I just continue to keep learning about the mechanics of doing uh, short-form uh, webcomic strips. It's a whole skill in its own. Yes, it definitely yes. is. <laughs> I'm curious, um, because you do animation work, you probably have, um, you're a very capable artist, but for Grickle you're very minimal in a lot of ways. Yeah. And I'm curious about the decision, because I know some animation folks that go overboard when they're not doing animation. Like, you look at something like Flight, where it's, you know, incredibly complex and lots yeah. of little bits in there. And with your work, I feel like you've just stripped it right down, you know, to not quite there a stick, ma'am. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think it's just it's a question of where I just have naturally always focused. I mean, I I just I'm always interested more than anything else. I think I'm always interested in the acting and the expressions, mm -hmm. um, and I kind of just want to get to the point as, uh, as efficiently and as quickly as possible. And I guess it's just personal taste. I, I I think the kind of cartoons and art that I gravitate towards is always really pretty simplistic stuff. I'm nothing against like heavily detailed and beautifully rendered things because uh, there's no way I, I don't think I could pull off some of that stuff um, <laughs> it's a, you know it's hats off to them but it's just it's not I, I don't know uh, like another cartoonist I absolutely love is J.J. Uh, uh, Sempe a French artist and man he just blows me away with how simplistic he just nails things with just what looks like it probably was doodled almost on a napkin half of his stuff and it's just amazing mm-hmm um, but I think it's also just uh, maybe because I've been doing the comics on the side, it's something where I just want to, i got to find the quickest way to get to the end result. Uh, I think I'm just constantly, I feel like I'm constantly refining my style to, to do that so that when I get an idea, boom, I can get in there and, and roll with it while I'm really inspired by it and get to that end result and then move on to the next thing. Well, you work with uh, Scott Campbell. Yep. Sometimes. And him, I, I kind of feel like it's almost an opposite. <laughs> or his work, I mean, like, I think it was the, the print, was it an interprint or something? I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. And it's just so much in there. You could just spend hours just trying to figure out everything in there. Yeah, it's true. I, I mean, but, but Scott does work with a very simplistic style, but yeah, he packs it in there. He's got that, I don't know, he does that amazing thing where he captures, for me anyway, he captures the, that perfect vibe of when you're a kid and you're drawing all your little army guys and you're planning out your big battle on, you know, the piece of paper and it's got that kind of energy that's just great. Really kinetic. Yeah, yeah. There's just tons going on and and when you're a kid drawing that stuff, I mean, you're living it while you're drawing it. You're just like so into the drawing and, uh, and Scott seems to retain that. <laughs> <laughs> um Looking at your animation, tell me about your attraction to madness. <laughs> I'm like going through the cartoons, like it's blah blah blah. Madness, madness. Yeah, that was the the first sort of batch of those. 
um, the whole thing got started because uh, working on uh, Coraline at Leica, uh, at a certain point in the production, the uh, director wanted us to, uh, as story artists, kind of put together our own little rough cuts of, of the sequences we were working on. And everybody was work- we were all working on Max, and the sort of default program is uh, iMovie on there. Yeah. And so, yeah, he, he said, you know, you guys just sit down, learn iMovie, and start making some little rough movies. And I am I'm terrible at, like, looking through manuals and reading through the steps and instructions. I just glaze over at that point. So I thought, you know, I'm just going to give myself some kind of project or something to do, and that'll force me to learn my way through this program. And so I made a tiny little animated short with it, and it made it, like, crazy quick and throwing in the sound and everything it just kind of man it just got all the sort of creative juices flowing again of like uh i just forgotten how much fun it is to make your own little animated ideas mm-hmm. and this was so simple to use i could put stuff i literally could put an idea together and have a finished short depending on how simple the idea was within days i mean super <laughs> easy so it kind of started from there and so then i started doing these things at home and uh, <laughs> the iMovie comes with its own little sound library. And my presumption is that the iMovie, its primary reason for it existing is for people to put together their vacation pictures and maybe throw a little soundtrack on it. I can't imagine why anyone would use <laughs> some <laughs> of the sounds that were in there for their trip to Hawaii because there was some really ominous awesome stuff in there, really dark-sounding things. And I, so I, I began making the shorts with the idea that I would just try to make as many shorts as I could using the exact same sound pieces and decided early on to call that madness. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, I, I don't know. I made, like, probably, these I don't know, 10 or 12 of those things using just the exact same sounds. The and same course, monkey. I, yep, the same monkey, the same mysterious suspense, I think is what the sound uh, clip was called. <laughs> music. And just made a whole bunch of those. And then, of course, you know, then st- that started springboarding into all kinds of other ideas that I wanted to try out. And uh been going ever since. Every now and again, if I get struck with a an idea I really want to do or... I just start chipping away at doing a little short on the side, and it's it's just been great. It's been an awesome outlet. And I love the fact that we live in this era right now of, like, YouTube and the Internet because um, I, you know, I feel like the little shorts I make actually get seen by a lot of folks because you can just pop them up. And, you know, I've built, like, a little uh, YouTube channel page yeah. and a bunch of subscribers, so it's great. I mean, the minute I finish a little short, poop, it goes up and... Tons of people can see it, so yeah. And a lot of people, a lot of people have been watching. I think one of them was above a million. Well, I got yeah. Early on, fairly early on, when I was doing them, the longest one that I ended up doing so far was the last duet on Earth, and it was a little zombie flick thing that I uh, created. And within the first two days or something of it being on my channel page. Somebody at YouTube in their editorial staff or whatever decided to throw it on the featured videos on the front page. (laughs) 
And that was nuts. I mean, I never... <laughs> it's funny because I would look... You know, you put something up and you always constantly check back to see how many views and whatever. And I think at the time I was getting like maybe 800 views. That was like a good one. And that was a good cartoon if I was getting like about 800 views at the time or whatever. And all of a sudden I, I looked and it was like, I don't know, 400,000 or something. Like when the last time I checked it had been like 720. And I was like, what is going on? Am I really looking at that? And then I flipped, clicked on the YouTube icon and the front page came up, and I was like, oh, my God, my, my cartoon's still on, it's, it's on the page there. So that really, I mean, obviously, that just opened up a huge amount of exposure for it. And then ever since, I've gotten tons of sub- subscribers from that. And, yeah, it's just funny. It makes you rich in Internet dollars. Yep, those old Internet dollars. <laughs> <laughs> It'll come in handy one day. I'm sure of it. Just don't know when. <laughs> Um, I'm going to do a really quick song break and then come right back. Uh, Instead, CITR 101.9 FM. Stud CITR 101.9 FM. Uh, up next, um, we have Japanese Music West at 3 o'clock and at 3.30, The French Connection. Um, next week's show will be kind of an interesting roundtable about mini-comics in the 80s with uh, Michael Dowers, whose new uh, new wave collection from Fantagraphics is amazing little brick of 800 pages of 1980s mini-comics. And I'll be joined by local uh, comics curmudgeon Colin Upton, as well as uh, special guests Wayno and Mary Fleener. So I think it'll be an odd, interesting chat, because those are awesome, neat characters. I'm talking to Graham Annable right now, and we're talking about Grickle. What do you see for the future of Grickle, Graham? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I just kind of keep doing whatever uh, is currently inspiring me. Um, I feel pretty good right now. I feel like I've got a lot of different little things I've sort of put my fingers into and uh, plan to continue to just kind of keep experimenting and keep trying out different formats of, of comics and cartoons. Um, one of the strips I really liked uh, in Grickle uh, was the, I think it was the first one, the Logos one. Oh, yeah, that's one of the, the mini-comics, actually, that, again, I don't think a lot of folks saw, so... It was, cool, I'm glad, glad you liked it. Tell, tell people a little bit about it. 
it just <laughs> that idea. I think it sparked from kind of growing up as a kid. Uh, my dad uh, is a definite. Uh, sort of, he taught shops uh, in elementary school and um, very mechanical-minded fellow. And I wasn't, and still am not good at all with mechanical things. Uh, and I just remember, like, well, it still happens. I mean, when my dad gets in conversations with his friends, they're constantly talking about motors and motor companies, Ford and Toyota and all these things. And it just kind of sparks from there about how, I mean, that's the ideal world that commercials are, are gunning for. That's what they're hoping. They're hoping that everything you say somehow keeps promoting their product. And I don't know, that the whole thing sort of gelled on, on that, just the idea that we would get to the point where we just converse through commercials, in a sense. You've got a lot of aliens in your comics. <laughs> I love aliens. Do they make the, the best uh, kind of gag response? I don't even know so much the gag. I just, I love, I guess I just love science fiction. Uh, I remember in college reading those Whitley Stryber books, Communion and Transformation. I don't know if you're familiar with those. No. At the time when they came out, I mean, Whitley Stryber swore that it all really happened. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, they were just awesome. They they scared the crap out of me when I read them at the time. And I think it was right around the time X-Files began, like a few years after that. I don't know. Everybody was in this this whole idea of aliens landing on the Earth again. And it's just this... It's just something I've always, it's always appealed to me. Um, yeah. <laughs> now, do you still, you currently are doing a lot of storyboarding animation, and that doesn't leave you too tapped out to continue with the comics? No, I mean, you know, like everything in life, it kind of goes up and down in waves, and I just try to sort of, I manage my time as best as I can, and, uh, and just try to keep taking notes on anything that is inspiring or an idea I think I might like to do. Um, uh, as I was saying before, I just find with when I get ideas, I immediately already think of them as a comic story, or it's going to be a an animated piece or a web comic, whatever. They just sort of fit into their slots, and then I kind of just wait for a chance to uh, or an opportunity to, you know, start working on it. Just let them go where they may go. Yep. <laughs> now, do you have like is as far as printed work? Um, is this is going to be it for a while then the the book of Greco? Uh, well, like I said, I, I am working on a long form graphic novel, but I, I haven't gotten to the point of actually you know presenting it or pitching it to anyone just yet. So yeah, it, it's probably going to be a little bit of time. But I continue. I've been continuing to do short stories for anthologies. Um, I've done stuff for the Flight anthology. Mm-hmm. Um, I re- uh, also did recently uh, a little story in Paper Cutter. I don't know if you're familiar with that. I love Paper Cutter. Yeah, it's such it's, a good book. It's Great amazing. Here like people, Portland, and he's, yeah, he's fantastic. People should go, like, Lucky's in Vancouver has it. I'm sure The Beguiling in Toronto has it. Um, it is the best comic anthology, and it's only, like, what, 32 pages? Yeah, it's so solid. Greg just, man, he just knows, and I'm not saying that because I'm in it, but he just knows how to pick the right artists. I don't know, he just puts together great books. Uh, and actually, the story that I had in Paper Cutter ended up uh, getting put into uh, Best American Comics 2008 last year. I guess Linda Berry was the editor for it, and somehow she ended up reading that story, and uh, and it 
and got in there. So that was it, that was great. So I've kind of I, I plan to continue to do short stories here and there uh, as I continue to pick away at other things I've got going. I totally forgot. I was looking at your website, and actually, folks can check out it's GrickleThings.blogspot.com. That's the blog, but if you just go to Grickle.com, it'll link you to everything. Grickle spelled G-R-I-C-K-L-E. Yep. Dot com. Um, I forgot about the Bridge Anthology, which is also oh, yeah. a fantastic little collection. <laughs> that was awesome to do. Uh, that was just, you know, a great opportunity. Uh, a while ago, Matt Leung uh, approached uh, Scott and I about doing this, this anthology, and I, we just loved the idea that it was going to be a San Francisco and a Portland artist put together, and they could make whatever they were going to make, so mm-hmm. it just offered an, offer, uh, an awesome opportunity for us to work together on something, and it was, it was super fun to do. Hopefully you can find that in finer comic stores. Did yeah, ever... it's tougher one to find out there. Yeah. But there are links on your site, and I'll probably have a link on the Inkstead site, inksteads.com. We're nearing the end of our time here, Graham. Okay. So I want to thank you very much for coming and chatting with me today. No problem. Thanks for having me. It was swell. And uh, you're going to be at Stumptown, I'm presuming. Yep. And uh, are you going to be at TCAF again? Yes. I am definitely not missing TCAF this year. And any other conventions? Those are the main two on my radar right now. Um, depending on how things are looking, I'm hoping maybe I can make it down for Ape again this or this year so we'll see that's in october yeah yeah it's a little ways off well i'll see you in toronto great thank you so much thank you okay take care all right bye-bye bye that's uh graham edible and i totally forgot to talk about lost with him i just realized now um he's got some great lost gag strips on his website or on his Flickr account and uh maybe i'll post one of those up when i post the show up next, Japanese Music West, like I said earlier, and at 3.30, uh, The French Connection. And next week, I am really looking forward to the show on April 1st. Who knows what it may bring. Party is off to a good start. Guests are on time. Everyone's out.